0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, Episode Four Hundred and Sixty Four. Today's show is brought to you by Electric, Zocdoc, Factor, and the Human Creator Alliance. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined across the airwaves by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow.
1: Oh, on the airwaves—that's very exciting. Uh, yes, you have—you flew the airwaves back to your home. Yep. yep. And I drove the road waves to <laughs> Oregon, where I am ensconced in a, uh, an Airbnb. Uh, so, you know, we were, we were both in my office, and now neither of us are in my office, is what I'm saying.
0: Well, it makes sense, because if you think about it, a few weeks of weirdness, because it is, of course, the Summer, summer of fun.
1: fun!
0: It's back. We're back. Got a Summer of Fun topic for later on in today's episode. But yeah. right now, I have a snow Talk question for you. It comes okay. from Brett, who wants to know, Jason, do you ever watch TV with the subtitles on?
1: Um, great question. Great question. I will reveal that my uh, so my daughter always watches TV with the subtitles on. And I think this is a, a generational thing. Mm-hmm. I think the youth, today's youth, love watching all TV with the subtitles on. I don't. So I only wear, watch sub, with subtitles on if it's a language I don't understand, or a mumbly British actor. Why is it got to be <laughs> or, British? Or a very well, because usually when I when somebody's speaking with an accent I can't understand, it's usually uh-huh. because it's a British TV production and somebody is doing a regional accent, or they're very mumbly, or both. It might happen that there's a mumbly American actor, and I'm like, what are they saying? But usually it's a mumbly British actor it's a bloody travesty that. Yeah, your mum was call by me, governor. I was mum. And like what what was that? I I don't even and then often with the british actors you uh you have a captions on and you still don't understand what they said because the words still don't make any sense. You're like, "Oh, that is what he said." I just still don't understand it. No, there was a show, god, what was that show? Um oh, The Peripheral on Amazon and mm-hmm. uh and one of the characters in that is a, a an excellent uh excellent english actress but she her cho- her choice was to mumble i mean it, literally her choice was to, to and i i i literally could not understand uh what she was saying so if there's a mumbly actor they're not always british but they're frequently british i will sometimes do it but otherwise no i only really do it if i don't understand what's going on um but i have i have done that um I did that. There's some Letterkenny episodes I've done that for. Letterkenny, a very funny show um, on Hulu. uh, Canadian. And sometimes they do bits where they're really talking fast and they're talking sometimes in colloquialisms or or accents and I'm like, okay. I need to back that up and see. I miss some of the words and context there. I'll do that there occasionally. But like, yeah. So my answer is not unless I have a real motivation to. Certainly as a matter of course I don't even though uh, my daughter does. Do you are you captioners? For me,
0: it is obviously, if they're not speaking English, there's no way around that, right. But most shows just show out you automatically. That's an obvious one. I do, but it's mostly because of just like audio mixing, I feel like ah, where you know we'll we'll put subtitles on for some shows for that. um, and especially Adina appreciates it because if it's mumbly and it's English, it's like it's not her first language anyway, right? So like, yeah. we're, we're two levels down at that point, so we'll often put on subtitles in, in those instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but saying about um, words that you don't understand, so no spoilers, we just saw the new Spider-Verse while we were away, and mm-hmm. there is a character played by Daniel Kaluuya who yes. is very cockney. And uh-huh. uh, there is this one moment where he says a piece of Cockney rhyming slang, and they put up one of those editor notes, like uh-huh. in the comics. Have you seen yep. it, by the way? Yes.
1: Yeah. It, it's great, yeah. right?
0: It's fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. Such a great yeah. movie.
1: And that Daniel Kalia character is especially inspired. Yeah. But they, they do the funny joke where they do the footnote from the editor like they do in the comics to explain yep. what the heck he just said. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Very good.
0: If you would like to send in a Snell Talk question of your own to help us open the show, just go to upgradefeedback.com and send it in. Got some follow-up, Jason Snell. Okay, good. So we were talking about uh, AI model training on the Mac Pro and wondering if it's actually something that's necessary. Um, After there was conversation about this, especially during the talk show, we heard from both Magnus and Marcelo, who are both data scientists. I don't know if to be a data scientist if your name has to begin with an M and an A, but that's just what happened. It does. So far, it is a 100% uh, correlation. That's what two my things. friends
1: Mark and Mary say. They're yeah. both data scientists. <laughs> uh, they
0: both said that they wouldn't want to use a local machine for model training, even if it was possible, because these days, training in the cloud scales way better because you have functionally infinite GPUs at your disposal right. by doing yep. this stuff. That makes sense. Uh, I just thought they kind of follow what we were saying, right? You just... That you just like if you use something like Azure or whatever, it's just you could just go on forever and ever. And these things are being permanently, no, not permanently, consistently tweaked to be more effective for AI model training anyway. So uh, many upgradians got in touch to tell me that it would be very simple for me to get a prescription for uh, vision in the US if I needed to order lenses for the Vision Pro. But most likely Zeiss will just accept whatever I tell them my prescription is. So. Mm. And when the time comes, should be easy for me to get my prescription lenses for my vision pro Yeah,
1: you can actually like get there are walk in places here where you yep. can walk in and it's a it's an eyeglasses plus optician and you can just walk in and pay them and get your prescription. A few people sent me a thing that Zeiss have like a an app <laughs> for prescriptions,
0: yeah. like you just do it on the iPhone. It just is like this vision test s- to confirm that the prescription at- you're saying
1: is is oh, yeah. correct. We had so, a we had a podcast sponsor who did something similar to that. So it, it Simple be done.
0: contacts, I think.
1: Yeah, and the idea is yeah, you put your phone like uh, a little far further away, and yeah. you step away, and then you you kind of call it out, and they do a whole thing. So yeah, it's a, it's like that. There, there's yeah. ways it wouldn't it, you you could do a quick swing uh, to the east coast to get a Vision Pro and probably get it to work, even though you know you might have to have some of it that you waited for or had passed back to you. But I bet you could do it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm often surprised by the American healthcare system
1: in. Mm. interesting ways it is a yes it is. oh yes it's a to me. constantly surprising uh yeah. i wish i could say delightful but just constantly surprising
0: just surprising i wanted to ask you jason if you had thoughts on the situation at reddit uh because we had a few upgrades oh. right in to ask what our thoughts were we spoke about it on Connected last week and I'll put a link in the show notes to that if people want to hear it. The situation's continued to uh, unfold. It's kind of like they're cutting off third party apps. Um yeah. Redditors went on protest and, and shut down uh Reddit's like basically turned uh-huh. them private. Um and you wrote a little bit about it on Six Colors, especially in regards to uh Apollo, the app which kind of yeah. instigated a lot of this.
1: Well the the um you know, it's it's actually a very similar story to Twitter. I understand the business model of saying we want to take all the uh, we want to get rid of all the third party clients so that we can completely monetize our site ourselves. Like I understand that, and that it's their right to do that. Although I would say that in you know, like Twitter, Reddit seems to have solved it by overpricing their API and pricing clients out which i think is unfortunate because there's probably an argument to be made that the right way to handle this is to either set the price at somewhere where the apollos of the world can't do a free tier need to charge but can charge something where they make money and reddit makes money or reddit could set up a system where there's a premium reddit account that gives you api access and so you pay reddit directly and then you can use a third-party client if you want to um, my biggest complaints about Reddit are about the CEO and his and the people working with him. And Christian Seelig, the uh, the developer of Apollo, has the receipts on this. Like they kept saying, "No, no, no, we're not going to price it like Twitter. It'll be reasonably priced." But in the end, not only was it going to be kind of catastrophic for him to implement it. Although, you know, I, I think it's arguable that they, in the long run the pricing might have been okay, but also they gave him no time to do it, and he's got existing subscribers, and it would have been a very, very costly thing to try and turn the ship, so instead he's just going to shut the app off. Um so I, I wish there was some more coherence and honesty with what Reddit did, which sounds very similar to Twitter. The CEO of Reddit has continued to shoot himself in the foot. He finally basically said, after, after saying before, well, we're not going to be like Twitter, he basically said, I've talked to Elon Musk, and I think that's a good model, and that's what we're doing. So it's like, okay, I guess he's just decided that they're going to do exactly what Twitter did. Um, Twitter is really falling apart, so good luck to him on that, on that front.
0: Yeah, I've got to say, like, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I read that quote, and like, I don't understand what business he is, is seeing.
1: Look, he is, I think, flailing desperately to get to uh, an IPO uh, to rescue the company, which I
0: understand that,
1: like, that uh, 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 makes sense, right? Really, right? Because there's no money. I, I think, um, you know, we've heard from people that like that the Reddit tools are terrible for moderators. Um, that third-party apps really add a lot of value, which is what the argument always was with Twitter. I always felt like Twitter third-party apps. I understand them shutting them down, but the right thing to do in the look by the time Twitter got to where it was, I think shutting down third-party apps was probably the only call. Although again, there they didn't just have the guts to shut them down. Instead, they had this kind of obfuscation where they said, "Oh, they're violating the API, uh, so we've turned them off." And then, and then, like several days later, they changed the API rules to retroactively invalidate them, which is just it's just bs they're trying to hide themselves and reddit seems to be going down the same pathway they could be honest and just say look we're, we we need to make money um we aren't making money from the third-party apps so we're going to shut them down but instead they're like no he you know he threatened us he tried to blackmail us you, you we're the victims here and that's the part that I, I that's that's when i think that this uh this steve guy who's the ceo at reddit is just a uh I I almost called him an insulting word. I I'll just say he seems kind of uh, like he's a uh, I get the impression he's a lying jerk. That's that's what I'll, how I'll put it. He he's he is afraid of just taking the punches and saying, "You know what? We have to do this." And instead, even as this whole thing has gone on, he's just sort of like smarmily laid back and said, "No, it's not us. It's them. You know, we everything we do is right." It's a very PR kind of calculated way, but it's also very clear to everybody on the outside that he's just lying about this stuff um and then with reddit i would pile on top of that, that i mean even more than twitter like twitter the content is entirely free right twitter mm-hmm. every every user makes the content and the value of twitter is is a combination of the user making the content and then twitter building the technology and also having all of the moderation practices that are necessary to have a social media network reddit does twitter one better by having not only all of its content but also all of its moderation done by essentially volunteers. Um, pretty nice gig, right? Where you're you're like, you've set up this whole company and you want to make money and you want to have an IPO and your content and moderation is just done by people who are random who because they mm-hmm. care about the content. And while this is another reminder, uh, as we've talked about here, that, uh, wow, relying on big companies as a as a primary path for you to do anything is not something you should ever do because you can't trust them um i I look at this and i also think i question the entire business model of reddit because if he's gonna this is the thing uh steve is gonna play this game now where he's like look we gotta make money this is a business like i get it on the other hand if you're gonna if you're gonna play that game, I think you gotta play the other part of the game, which is your volunteer moderators are going to exert power. And here's the problem: they don't work for you. They actually don't work for you. It, they they are volunteers. They are doing it for thrills and for power and for the love of the content, but they're not doing it for money. You don't own them. You don't you don't Feed, you know, you don't feed their families. You don't do pay their mortgages. You don't do any of that stuff for these people, and that's the problem. That's the danger that Reddit faces. I think is that you know, if, if you want to play the game that this guy seems to be playing, you may end up in a situation where you've kind of broken your business model, yep. and you can kick out those moderators, and that's fine. But like, you're going to start to have severe content problems too. I saw somebody, and I I don't know whether it was Ben Thompson or somebody quoted by Ben Thompson in Stratechery who said. Reddit is so valuable as a search result in Google that Google should just buy them. And I thought yeah. it was the most brilliant thing I read all week yeah. because yeah. I feel like just as with Twitter, I feel like maybe these things actually have more value as a resource for another business than they do as a business, if that makes any sense. That it's almost like it's they're more worth it as a content farm for Google than they are as an actual thriving business. And so Google would be like, we'll lose money on Reddit. It's fine. We make it all up in search. And I'm like, okay, uh, that actually makes more sense to me than Reddit as a business. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts. I think the CEO is a jerk. I think this is all, I think this is self-inflicted wounds. I think they got in a difficult spot and I understand it. And I realize that to navigate out of that, you might actually have to do some things that are unpopular. But the way you do them is by being upfront about them, not hiding Claiming that you're not, then doing them anyway, then lying in order to throw some developers under the bus to make you look better. Like, these are all, like, none all of this could have been avoided, Steve. That's what I'm saying.
0: This episode is brought to you by Electric. When you're leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding employees, which you're well-equipped to deal with but maybe you don't have the time for it. The team over at Electric knows that small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale, and employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications, while simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactively, IT recommendations and automated workflows that make IT easy to manage even for non-technical users. If you're hearing this and you think that your company could use any or all of these services but you're not sure where to start, Electrix experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. As a small business owner myself, anytime I'm able to take anything off my plate, get a bit more time back for me either to use more productively or just to do Anything else other than work is an amazing thing. This is what Electric can maybe offer your small business. For upgrade listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash upgrade. That's electric.ai slash upgrade. Go there now to get your free pair of beat solo three headphones for taking a scheduled meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and Relay FM. I have the return of Rumor Roundup
1: for you, Jason. Oh, finally. Uh, We're done with the facts. It's back to the rumors. Although there wasn't a lot of them. (laughs) There was a bit... We're starting starting from a low baseline. It's starting from from scratch, kind of. Yeah, I know. we got to... Yeah, you got to get back on the horse. Hmm? Indeed. Saddle up. Uh,
0: Sigmund Judge who's somebody that I spent a bit of time with over uh, in California for WWC. Very nice guy. Uh, Great accent. Uh, He uh, is reporting. He's at Screen Times. uh, It's a publication that he runs. Focuses a lot on uh, Apple TV stuff. Uh, So Sigmund said that uh, an upcoming TV Plus show, Monarch Legacy of Monsters, which I think is like a Kaiju Godzilla type thing. It's a Godzilla show, yeah. It's being created in Apple's immersive video format for Vision Pro, and this will be in addition to the standard show content. This is something I guess we'd assumed, but I think it's the first report that I've seen of any of Apple's TV Plus shows being thought of having a Vision Pro component to them.
1: Yeah, so, so 3D content in general. this is There's a complexity here that I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, I've talked to some people about it recently, people we know in the film industry who are talking about it. Um, shooting movies with 3D cameras is incredibly hard because you have to have two lenses and in order to get them to the right... Uh, eye distance to be kind of properly 3d a lot of times you end up with like a beam splitter so it's sort of like the second camera is actually somewhere else uh a little further away but then the lens is right next you know right to the left of the other lens and uh it's it's very complex and you're and if i say this then you're thinking to yourself well wait like every movie is released in 3d almost every movie released in 3d is shot in 2d and then a, a company that does 3D conversion comes in, and they lay down for every shot uh, that isn't... I mean, maybe the VFX are rendered in 3D? I actually don't know that. They could be potentially rendered in 3D because it's actual VFX. But um, whatever isn't in 3D is... They, they'll they lay down like a mesh where they're like, here's the depth map that they're creating, but it's all artificial. <laughs> and they generate a stereo pair out of... Uh, single flat image so most things do not shoot this report suggests that the monarch legacy of monster show is actually shooting in 3d which is interesting because that's a lot of extra work and a lot of extra cost and i think maybe this is a test for apple i wouldn't be surprised this is i'm just throwing things out there i wouldn't be surprised if we hear over the next uh, little while that a bunch of apple shows are being Done, being done as a 3D conversion, just yeah. like movies are, so that that content on Apple TV is available on Vision Pro when it launches in 3D, so they've got more showcase content. Apple will also undoubtedly have everything that – every movie that's been shot in 3D, right, will be in 3D.
0: Someone can finally sell them, right? They can finally be sold. Like, there's something to actually watch them on.
1: Right, or or like Disney+, Plus, for example, when Bob Iger says day and date, like, all of their Marvel movies and, you know, all that stuff – all that content will be in 3D. There'll be a 3D version of it because they have a 3D version of it that they put in theaters. So they'll just they'll put that out there, and everybody who had a you know a 3D DVD or whatever. I mean, 3D TV failed, but 3D movies still happen. So um, all of that stuff will be available. But this is interesting to me because it's not just a conversion, and it's at least an experiment where Apple is spending the money to see my guess is that they're spending this money because one they want it to be very impressive and use it as a sample when they're talking about this uh, as the vision pro launches as as a media sample but two it makes me wonder if they're also just sort of seeing what would it be like if we shot more of our stuff as 3d and they may learn like whoa everybody already learned the lesson that you just convert it later you don't actually shoot it this way but um you know, we'll see about that. I, I love, I love that they're trying it. I'm not surprised that they're trying it, but I love that they're trying this, and this is an interesting show for that—a Godzilla show to just. I mean, Godzilla as a as a property, I think, isn't. Doesn't uh, Godzilla had a legacy of 3D movies in various 3D formats over I'm the sure. last 70 years? So I think that's fun it's always too. There.
0: Godzilla's always there. Uh, Chance Miller, who's the editor in chief of Nine to Five Mac, who also got to spend time with at WWC. Very happy to mm-hmm. meet Chance, friend of the said, show. In the, the chat room right now, <laughs> in our live Discord, says I haven't yeah. reported this yet, but they are also filming something in immersive video with you two.
1: Oh, of course sure. they are. Of course they are. Uh, of course they are. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, it's gonna be you're gonna get that 3D of Tim Cook touching uh, Bono's finger. Yeah. And- no, that's great. New band. Do you know what uh, I mean? A, uh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Well, you two just did the thing with David Letterman that I thought was really great. They did a they did a special with David Letterman that I, I thought was really fun. Uh, but yes, indeed, it would be. Um, but so okay. Again, experimenting with music content, right? Yep. Like one of the things that struck us, I think, when we were watching this, and then we've talked about it since, is this isn't just a thing for uh, movies and for sports, but like concerts and things are definitely. And they had the they had that one concert, kind of like you're in the studio clip in, as part of their montage so like more immersive video content with uh music as a focus is something that they should totally do too so i I, i'm looking forward to now that this is out there all of the it's not like apple's not going to still keep secrets about this stuff but like the key secret which is never admit that we're doing anything involving 3d (laughs) is out the window so they could there will be more reports like this where we'll be starting to figure out what their vision pro content plan is
0: Ming-Chi Kuo is reporting that the iPhone 15 line will include a new ultra-wideband chip to be able to communicate more reliably with the Vision Pro. This is a quote. Kuo believes that an upgraded version of the U1 chip will improve the performance of Find My Handoff, AirDrop, and more. It will also play a key role in the integration between Vision Pro and Apple's other products. I don't really know what this means, All right. Um, I have th- to be honest. I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory. I want to Because
1: I was also baffled by this report. I was baffled by this. I was like, now Ming-Chi Kuo, what are you doing? You got a new chip. You're like, oh, it'll, it'll integrate. Mm, <laughs> goodbye.
0: It's like, how can I put Vision Pro into this story?
1: Where, where'd it go? How did, how did you, why, how'd you drop that on us and then just run away before telling us more? Um, here's my theory. So ultra wideband. The whole idea behind ultra wideband is that it gives incredibly precise measurement of location in space. So the example i always give is like a bluetooth based smart lock uh or or uh car key unlocks when your phone is kind of close to the car, right? Because like bluetooth LE they're like oh this signal's strong enough that they're probably close to the car. So that's like how m- most current car uh pairings like a a tesla key unlocks is it's bluetooth which means that you can you can hijack it and you can get you can like steal the signal from one and boost it and it makes it seem like uh, it's stronger than it is and then it unlocks the car right okay there's things you can do there but it's also imprecise bluetooth for uh, a smart lock is similar it's like it's sort of got to wait for you to leave and then senses when you come back and then it unlocks that my old lock was like that and then there's NFC. NFC is very close. You have to be able to, you have to like tap against something because it's like Apple Pay. So you would have to tap your phone or whatever against the car's spot. And then it would be like, oh, there, there it is, and it would open. And that's what my current lock on my door does. Is it it I have to put my Apple Watch right up against the lock. And then it, the NFC fires off and it goes, yay, you're home. It doesn't say that, but it, it's thinking it. And then it opens the door. Ultra wideband is precision. Location in space. So, with ultra wideband, if you've got a phone with ultra wideband or a watch or whatever, and you come up to the car door, uh, it can know that it's you at that car door and unlock the car door. You don't have to be up against it, but it's also not kind of this hazy, like, I think you're close. Similar with a lock. As you're walking up to the door, it can be like, hey, you're walking up to the door. I'm going to unlock now because it knows exactly where you are in space. So, let's talk about Vision Pro. The more precise locations you've got for those items, the more Vision Pro can overlay things based on those items' location, if that makes sense. So that's my theory here, is the idea is it knows exactly where your iPhone is, exactly where any of your ultra-wideband devices are, and because you're seeing the room, it can actually show them where they are. And my guess is that the idea there is not only do you have that precision, but then they build an interface on top of it for you to bring up that iPhone interface or pull something off that iPhone. Or, you know, or do an airdrop right. or something. And and, and it's all it, – it, it increases the quality of the illusion of those products being in the AR experience because with ultra-wideband, it should know their precise location, right? Like in your – so if it's on the table – um, it knows it's on the table. If it's on the couch, if it's behind you and then you turn around, it will already have known exactly where it was and will be able to, I don't know what, put an overlay above it, put a little screen above it, whatever it needs to do. So that's my guess is that this is all about Apple creating this kind of like constellation of devices, all of which know where every other device is and the Vision Pro can see them all and overlay them. That's my best guess.
0: That's as good as any guess. That's, that's, that's all I, can I got.
1: Imagine. I don't have one.
0: This is a very interesting story that me and you were talking about when we were uh, at the baseball park a couple of uh, weeks ago, oh, yes, whatever indeed. it was. It has been reported that Apple is a key player in Lionel Messi's decision to move to Major League Soccer joining Inter-Miami. So Messi is leaving European football and yes. going to Major League Soccer, has chosen yep. in, into miami as the team that he's going to go play for, mm-hmm. is the reporting. But it's being further reported that Messi will get a cut of revenue from new subscribers, I think international new subscribers, to the MLS season pass as part of this deal. Apple is also going to make a documentary on his career. The deal yeah. is apparently not yet finalized, but it honestly just seems like it's a paperwork that needs to come right.
1: together. How wild is this? <laughs> the idea here is that MLS, it's not just uh, the team Inter-Miami, it's the league, and it's the league's media partner. Uh, and, uh, you know, they did a, a similar kind of wild deal for Beckham back in the day. In fact, uh, Inter-Miami, Beckham owns 20% of or something, and it's from that deal. He was given the... Uh, as part of his deal, he got to buy into an expansion team, yeah, um, which is Inter-Miami. <laughs> so I think... The idea here is uh, Messi's profile internationally. Keep in mind, MLS rights, Apple has, they're worldwide. So they, and and you're saying to yourself, yes, but the world doesn't care about MLS. It's like, well, does the world care about Messi? The places where the world cares about Messi, um, people are going to be able to instantly be able to see him because it's going to be on Apple TV Plus or it's going to be on Apple TV with a, the with a buy-in to the MLS package. So Apple is going to make this available. It, it therefore makes sense that you know you might want to sweeten the deal a little bit. It's probably not huge money in terms of the overall deal, but the idea of sweetening the deal and saying, "Yeah, we know you're going to drive subs of our service everywhere because people are going to want to see you play," and so uh, we'll you know we'll make you a partner and we'll kick you in for some of that. I, I, that that it seems wild on one level, but when you think about the business side of it. It's not too bad, and and it's, it shows the advantage of Apple's approach because instead of MLS being like, oh, I guess we need to find partners who are vaguely interested us in Argentina, uh, and it's like no, Apple's got it everywhere. Everybody can already get it. All they have to do is pay for it, and they get the package. And it's like it's done because Apple is everywhere. That's uh, that's a big advantage. It's not a scalable thing. No, they can't. They can't say, "Hey, uh, Killian Mbappe, how about yes. how about you." play for the uh nyfc and we'll we'll cut you in for a piece too and it's like you can't you can't scale it like that but this is a you know just trying to get more eyes on mls and and uh which this will uh, do it's fine like yeah
0: one of the best players of all time one of the best current players around
1: yeah and this is the classic move right where when you're at at the end of your career um I think he already has a house in Miami. Like he end of the career, it's sort of like you come to America. You're going to be a little less famous there, which is probably nice. You've already got a place there. You you play some soccer in your your last years of playing soccer. You make a lot of money, and I guess realistically, you're
0: playing at like seventy five percent skill. Yeah. well it's like right? Beck like Beckham, yeah
1: it's the same thing, which is like this is the I mean MLS wants to be better and they are getting better and they're they're and they're very successful actually as a business. they keep expanding and and they're doing pretty well, but they're not a top tier uh, league they're although they're improving and the, and so how do you get um, brand names? and the answer is it's stuff like this is you pay for a declining player uh, who is still widely loved to uh, take the money because his you know, performance isn't necessarily at the high level and he's made a lot of money and he's got some lifestyle decisions to make for his last few years and, and that's exactly what they did with Beckham and here it is again.
0: I'm going to attempt to introduce a new segment to the show during this time of the year uh, purely because I thought of a, a terrible name. This is The Beatles where we talk about details from The Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the Vito. Uh, the base the bait. Ba- we
1: details? have to say it the English way details? for it to make
0: sense, I feel like. Written now,
1: it's fine either way. I when I saw this in the document, I, I corrected it and then I went, Oh You saw what I was doing. I see what he's doing here. Uh there's
0: a couple of things that I've seen uh on the internet and we'll be talking about these more as I'm sure uh, I guess a good way to start. Are you running any of the betas right now?
1: Not with me. I, I okay. I put iOS 17 on my iPhone mini that's at home and I put it on an iPad pro that's at home. So I've tried it out, but I didn't, I'm not traveling because again, I'm not a monster. I am not traveling with them. And then I have not prepped a, um, either a drive or the problem is with summer travel, which we'll talk about in the summer fun. Uh, I'm a little bit loath to install, Uh, beta on my laptop so instead I end up having to boot off of an external drive or something so I haven't done that yet but um, for macOS for macOS
0: I don't have extra devices and I also never would run macOS anyway like it's that just seems like a horrible risk that I don't want to partake in but the iOS stuff I I always will run the iOS beta but I usually give it a couple um, to to go through but I haven't uh, I
1: haven't I haven't started on that yet. We could call this segment "Features in the Betas." Remember that we—that was a whole episode title: "Features in the Betas."
0: Mm, I prefer the the the, the details. details. <laughs> yeah, personally. Uh, well,
1: ping my watch. Okay. Is a great
0: addition. I to iOS seventeen. Oh, yes. So wow. it's in the opposite way around. So from your you've always been able to from uh, your watch to ping your phone, but now you can ping your
1: watch from your phone. So I just think it's just like a nice little addition to add. Why not? I very rarely am in a position where I don't know where my watch is, correct? <laughs> but I do know where my phone is. But, but sure. now in that rare case where you might want to know,
0: you can find out. Okay. Cinematic mode in the iPhone camera, which is the thing I'd forgotten about until I actually used it uh, when we were traveling, where we were taking a, a cable car ride in San Francisco because mm. Idina had never done that, and she's riding the whole line and she like take some fun video and I used cinematic mode to take a video. Uh, mm-hmm. This is going to be uh, something you'll be able to edit in third-party apps. So, at, quote, this enables your apps to change focus distance and aperture in movies, create a bokeh effect even after recordings. This is a thing you can do in the iOS camera app, but this will now allow for third-party apps to be able to have the functionality to be able to edit these videos
1: after the fact. Right.
0: Uh, and one you wrote about uh, in yeah. iOS 17 called deferred photo processing.
1: I'm always going to think of this as the feature where I, uh, I I walked somewhere else here in Eugene and to a brew pub and and ordered a beer and then sat down with my laptop and wrote a story because <laughs> it's just it was so uh, so civilized that was so good and about a about a WWDC session. So yes, tell us tell us what I wrote about, Mike. Uh, so you said uh, that basically what this does is
0: it's, it's processing images in the background in third-party apps so that the shutter button is more responsive. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm not 100%. The reason I phrased this the way I did is that these are new features in iOS 17. I'm unclear what features of these are new entirely in iOS 17 and which ones are just new to third parties in iOS yeah. 17. I think some of this may be new in the camera app too, but I do don't know that for sure. So I left it intentionally vague. But the idea I've here is... I've seen
0: images change. So I think Apple is yeah. doing this already.
1: So it's like Deep Fusion yeah. is taking multiple things and it takes time to do it. And so what you end up with is you tap and then it spins and then you tap and then it spins while it's taking these photos and then processing them. So it has an API for third parties that is deferred processing. The idea there is you tap, it saves a temporary thumbnail to your photo library and immediate, and immediately makes the button available for you to take another picture. And then at idle time, essentially, it will do the deep fusion processing and all of that that it needs to do and uh, update that in your library so that you end up with the final photo, but it's deferred. And then the other part of this is is uh, reducing shutter lag, where it's doing a rolling buffer of full quality images. Uh, I think it's they said thirty frames per second at full quality. And so when you take an image, instead of it doing what it used to do, which is you know you press the button on f- frame five and it captures six, seven, eight, nine, and uses those to make an image. And you if if it's moving fast, you've missed the moment. Now with the rolling buffer. Um, you you take on frame five and it uses frames two three four five and five is the primary and you can capture that moment and this is all now available in iOS 17 to third party camera apps so it's great news regardless and if some of this is informing things that are improved in the actual stock camera app then all the better but I I'm not I'm not a hundred percent on that one so thank you for
0: tuning into the first segment of the B oh boy by the way uh, I think about Ducktales. Every time I say b-tails, so if you want to add in, you know, as the listener, woo-hoo, afterwards you can do that. That's up to you every time I say it, but that's up to you. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you ask everyone that you know for a recommendation? I mean, it makes sense. You want a doctor who actually gets you, listens to you, understands you, makes you feel comfortable. Finally, after weeks of searching, you find that one right doctor. They meet all your requirements and then some. So you call their office and they have an appointment available. Then you find out your perfect doctor doesn't take your insurance. Don't worry. Head over to ZocDoc to find and book the doctor who's right for you and takes your insurance. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated doctors, Patient reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. These doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients, not bots. The average wait time to see a doctor, book, doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. That's it. You can even get same-day appointments. Imagine that, same-day appointments for a doctor. Once you find the doctor that you want, you book them immediately and with just a few taps, so no more waiting awkwardly on hold of a receptionist. I think the best thing is to also be able to have phone appointments. I had, I had a phone appointment with my doctor this morning, which is so preferable to going and waiting. Like the call was a few minutes late. I'm sure in a, if I was waiting in the waiting room, I probably would have been there for like 25 minutes just like hanging around waiting for them to see me. And I'm just like sitting there twiddling my thumbs, so, which is why it's so great to have these phone appointments. But whatever you want to do, ZocDoc's there for you. So go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoccom upgrade slash UpgradeFM. ZocDoc.com slash upgrade fm our thanks to Zocdoc for their support of this show and all of relay fm jason we got tons of vision pro ask upgrade questions understandably uh over the last couple of weeks so i wanted to talk about a bunch of these see if we can answer some questions from the upgradians if you want to send in your Ask Upgrade questions, you can always go to upgradefeedback.com and do that. First one comes from Bromwin, who asked, how was the sound on the Vision Pro? Is it just blasting out to the room from the ear pods so someone walking by would hear the movie that you're watching?
1: I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, blasting is not the word I would use because keep in mind, the sound is, uh, the pods are above your ears, right? So they're mm-hmm. they're shooting kind of down into your ears from there, which means that they don't have to be too loud. But certainly if you're watching a a, a, a movie, um, especially a noisy scene in a movie and somebody's sitting right next to you, they will hear it. They will absolutely hear it. Yep. Um, it's not a privacy sort of thing. If you want that, this is the thing we remember where we were like, are they going to include AirPods if it costs $2,500 and it costs 3,500 and they're not going to include AirPods. But this is the answer to that question, which is that's the default. They want it to be immersive where you're hearing the room around you, not shutting it out. And you're also hearing what's coming from the Vision Pro. And it seems like they're all coming from the same place. But if you're if you need privacy, you don't want to bother other people, or you're on like an airplane where it's so noisy in the ambient uh soundscape that you can't hear it, right? Like that's what they said very specifically is if you're on an airplane, you're not going to be able to hear what's going on. Like you just won't. Then you put in AirPods for that. So so yes, these are leaky. Um and they will. I don't know how much because I didn't experience being next to somebody who was no. using this, but they're going to be based on my experience with like the the Quest stuff. Like you can, uh, it's going to sound great to you, but other people will hear it, right?
0: Definitely. I mean, so I don't know how loud. As well, the audio. I didn't really think about it, which I think tells me it was good. Like I don't yeah. really have any. It was very good particular thoughts about it so it just felt natural which probably Mm -hmm. to me felt like i was wearing airpods right like it just sounded like there were airpods in my ears or whatever but i could still also hear the people talking to me even if there was audio playing on the videos or whatever that i was watching um so the audio was good but yes it's not you know it's not bone conduction or anything like that right they're actual speakers and they're just firing towards your ears so it's you know, not as loud, I'm sure, as if you were just like watching something on an iPhone, but definitely going to be disruptive to people around you. Like you would need to wear AirPods if you wanted to to have privacy when wearing one
1: of these. Or in a noisy environment that yes. is where it's going to bother you. And I think that yeah. goes to the... I mean, it's funny thinking about ways that Apple's philosophy here has influenced products that we've already seen, but essentially this is similar to transparency and noise canceling in AirPods, where there's a pass-through and then there's a a closed off. So if you were in an immersive environment, that might be a perfect time to put in AirPods. I honestly wonder, Mike, if AirPods will automatically change modes (laughs) When oh, you go into an immersive nice. environment, if you're wearing AirPods, that it would be transparent when you're seeing everything around you, and if you go immersive, it cool. turns on, yeah, uh, noise canceling. Right? Maybe. Steve
0: asks, "How could you imagine using the Vision Pro throughout a normal week?" So I've been thinking about this a bunch. I think one of the easiest places for me is like real focused work. So like when I'm doing prep for shows it's usually like an hour to two hours where I'm just like, go until it's done. And I could imagine finding a like fully immersive environment to be really nice. You know, like got a couple of windows open and I'm um, in a forest or something. And I think that'd be kind of cool. Like similarly, I've heard a few people mention this as well, of like different environments for different kinds of work to kind of help like get you in the mood to be focused on certain things. And then similarly in the day... You know, I like to give myself breaks and maybe I'll watch a YouTube video or something. If I was to do those in Vision Pro, like it would probably be a better environment and experience than anything else that I was doing. And then it would also be short periods of time, which I still think, at least in the beginning, will be uh, more comfortable.
1: What about you? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I think, I was trying to think about it. Like, again, I work at home alone, so I can think of scenarios where, uh, I could use this potentially for productivity. Um, and I think the way you put it is a focused, kind of focused work in certain cases. I think there's a question of like, would I use this to write? I don't know. I do move from place to place in my house sometimes in order to shift context and write something like away from my desk. I don't I don't always write at my desk. I would say half of the things I write are somewhere else. So I might use that in, in some ways um, for whether it was writing or whether it was the planning and and brainstorming and other stuff like that that
0: mm.
1: i i might benefit from it i i will have to try it out and see but i could see it being possible uh i don't know i i don't know can i go you know sit, sit in the backyard and have a big screen in front of me <laughs> and have that be a different experience i i honestly don't know um looking forward well, to this the, is also trying it out though
0: before we've seen other types of experiences right like we just true. had Just the basic kind of system stuff. Yeah, This is before there's like, oh, there's this app that I'm already using, which I like, but the Vision Pro experience of it is going to be so much better then, you know? Right. We just don't know what that's going to be yet.
1: Right, yeah, the Obsidian for Vision Pro, where it's just like a spider web and you're flying through space. But
0: maybe though, right? And then like that, you know, it turns out that... Nobody knew it, but this app that you use every day is like made for this, for Vision Pro. Like we just didn't know until someone tried to do it. Could be. Uh, Roland asked Are you surprised that Apple's put the digital crown on a third product? Could you have imagined it would become so prolific across their product lineup?
1: I'm honestly not because I remember one of all of those um, rumors we had back in the day for the Apple Watch. And they would always be like, a crown, like on a watch, and you could use it as an... In-. And I always felt like those reports were a little bit skeptical or baffled or curious about Apple choosing that as an interface approach. And my recollection is that when I first heard about it, I thought, oh... That's perfect, right? Like mm. you can press it in, you can spin it. You, it's it's like a natural small input. I'm a little surprised that Apple has tried to take it to other places, and and uh, it's on the what AirPods Max, and it's now on this. And but like, um, I I think Apple, it's a little like panic saying let's put a crank on the playdate. It's so, sort of like you know. I love thinking outside the box a little bit about an input mechanism and saying, you know, we have a a circular input mechanism that allows people to sort of dial things in and out. And it feels a little more natural for certain use cases than pressing a button. Um, and And it does. I mean, honestly... If Apple's devices weren't so thin, I think they would have done this in other places too. I think the the wheel is a more natural way to adjust the volume than pressing an up or down button on the Mm -hmm. side of an iPad or an iPhone, but a wheel will not fit, a, a crown will not fit over there. So that's, I guess they could do it edge on. That would be an interesting idea. It'd probably take up too much space to have a whole big wheel. So, um, but but in certain products where they can place it in the right place, I think it makes sense. So I'm not, I'm not that surprised because I always thought it was a great idea and I, I kind of love the digital crown and I, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's a good fit. What about you, Mike?
0: I like it a lot too uh, and I like it on the, um, the AirPods Max. It's awesome on the AirPods Max. And so it's not surprising to me as a way of being able to have that, especially the way that Apple's doing it, like the progressive um, kind of immersion to AR. I wouldn't have believed you when you showed me the first time I saw it on an Apple Watch for you to tell me that would be on two more non-watch products um, <laughs> in, within five years or whatever it's been.
1: Apple doesn't like buttons, but they're like crowns. Yeah,
0: like that crowns that was a, a surprise lot. to me because I remember at first, I think, I was a bit skeptical about the digital crown. of just like, is this actually good or is it only here because watches look like this? Like That was my initial thought on the digital crown as an idea like i couldn't i wasn't completely sure i mean and this was like one of those ideas of like how what we thought the watch was changed so much like at first it was always it, people called it a one-handed device like that was what it was referred to as like oh the watch is the one-handed device but the watch is actually more a two-handed device than an iphone is but like we just didn't really understand it until we actually really used these things of like what they require from an interface perspective. It's like, why would you not just swipe with your finger? Well, because you cover the entire screen when you do that. And so the crown works perfectly. So yeah, it's just like a funny thing to now imagine this watch thing now on a headset, but it's just a good control.
1: Yeah, it's good. I, if I had a criticism of it, having used it for thirty minutes, I would say that it feels to me more natural if it if it was on the side of the Vision Pro instead of the top. Yeah, because the the reaching with your finger and turning a dial where you sort of have to stick your elbow out because the the plane is uh, like even with your eyes instead of it being um perpendicular where you're just reading it, it, cuz it's it's on the right side of the vision pro but it's on the top surface not the side surface and i think that if it was on the side surface it would be a little more natural to dial it in and out but you kind of have to reach up top to do it so i think that that's just a, the way it's designed to get bad. to
0: home you have to press. press you press it it is the home button and that feels uncomfortable to do
1: so yeah my theory there is that there'll be a gesture for I home hope so. As so. well as probably a voice cue for home, we they really didn't talk about voice, sure voice at cue. all. That's for and sure. I, yeah, I keep th- the whole time after we were done. I kept thinking, surely voice commands are a part of this experience, right? Like surely that is another way to navigate through all of this, and they just weren't willing or ready to show it to us. Because when every time I reached up to press the button to show the apps, I thought. It's got to, I mean, it's nice, it's fine, but it does break you out of the, like, I'm just sitting here with my hands in my lap, and I'm I'm looking at content, and I'm tapping with my fingers, and now I reach up to the device and press the button, surely there is a better way to bring those apps up than that, and I think there probably are multiple paths that we just weren't shown. Yeah. It also, um, it does the centering thing, right,
0: in case people don't know this, so all VR headsets have this of like yeah just just to make sure that like your the UI that you want to see right in front of you is is actually right in front of you. so you press and hold and it centers the UI so it does right. that too.
1: It's a little like if you're wearing um, uh, airpods in spatial audio and it, it it recenters itself where like if you're if you're looking at a TV, and the sound sounds like it's kind of coming from a little further to the left. I hate that feeling when it when it does the recentering. It makes me
0: feel really
1: uncomfortable. And, and then it goes boop and it pops it to the center. Well, yeah, that's just for people who who maybe haven't had a VR headset experience. But yeah, it's super important. I was I was looking, you know, there's the sitting on the couch looking straight ahead in the demo room, and the app list came over came up, and it was off to the left a little bit. Mm-hmm. And once they told me I could tap, I could press and hold the crown in order to center the view where I was looking. It's like, oh yeah, I I, I know how to do that because I do that all the time in the Meta Quest, and and then it was an easy gesture to do to recenter. Although again, giving a command to recenter uh, with my voice or using a gesture might be another way to do it. But we didn't see those.
0: Uh, Jason asks, why did Apple hmm. make the Vision Pro a computer instead of just a fancy display? It's a shame to have to spend so much on a computer that will age just like a laptop does. Does Apple really think you're going to upgrade this every couple of years like we upgrade our other
1: devices? Well, um, I don't know what Apple thinks about upgrades with this thing. I think they're focused on just getting it out there. Yeah, I've got a couple thoughts here. One is just a fancy display. I think part of the challenge is what can you do with... um, Connecting to other devices, so like this device will work with Macs that are made after it's gone, you know, after it's shipped, that are much more powerful, and it will work with them, right? But Mm -hmm. the the, but it also runs apps itself. I do wonder in the in the long run, we were talking about the ultra wideband earlier. I do wonder (laughs) it's going to know where your iPhone is. Your iPhone's already going to be pushing uh, widgets onto your Mac, like. Is there a scenario where all of Apple's devices, however new they are, will be able to basically be brought up in the view? And so instead of running them on that app on the device, you'll run it on or on the Vision Pro, you'll run it on the iPad and just display it on the Vision Pro um, wirelessly. It could happen. Um I think the challenge is that Apple didn't want to make something that was physically tethered to a Mac, which would have solved this problem, but would have caused a lot of other problems. They also were rumored to have come up with some sort of like breakout box that you'd stick on a Mac and that would wirelessly beam everything back to the Vision Pro, and they didn't want to do that. Um, There are latency issues, Um, so you know. and, And then separately from that, I would say just a fancy display. The problem is you need enormous amounts of processing power just to be a display, like even on the basic level, in order to place windows on screen and look around and interact with things. It's not just a display. It's a huge amount of power to do that. So this is this is the package they, they wrapped together. Uh, obviously, they didn't like, why doesn't it run macOS? <laughs> it's like, that is too far. It can't do that, but it can run iPhone and iPad apps. So you know, I think this is this is the way they cut it. Um, I don't think it could ever have been just a display. I do think there may be potential to sort of like run future devices on it um as a re- remotely instead. And how are we going to upgrade it? I, I do think that in the end, Apple expects that there'll be an upgrade cycle for this of I don't know how many years, but we're in the early days yet where you know none of that is even has even been established. This is not a product that is as mature. I would say this is not a product that's even as mature as the iPhone or iP- or Apple Watch or iPad were when they came out. Yeah. Right, this is a category that is you got to go further back than that. I keep saying like the original Mac, but like that's what this feels like. Is that this is really expensive technology that has a big price tag. It, it uh, you know lots of people are going to not be able to remotely afford it. The people who do, it's going to be a a lot of them a stretch to get one because you're in the earliest kind of cutting edge days. Of this tech, so it's going to be a while, I would think, before we get a a really a strong idea about the upgrade cycle.
0: I mean, for me, it's kind of like, what's the point if it's just a display? Like, what's the point?
1: It's a thirty five hundred dollar accessory for all your other Apple products that you have to buy, yeah. Or, and, or and it would be like
0: twenty five hundred or fifteen hundred or yeah. whatever, right? Because if it didn't have its own computer.
1: And it, and it still would have that. That's the thing. It still ha, it absolutely has to have its own have computer. Stuff. I think. It has to have I stuff. think in fact the ability for it to run iPad and iPhone apps is not a function of Apple saying we think this is a computer. I think that's a function of Apple having to build a computer to run this thing. And then at that point they're using a version of iOS that they've modified that's now vision OS and it has the capability to run those apps. So why wouldn't you let them run those apps? But like it, it is a computer because it has to be to do VR and AR. I mean, it just has Mm -hmm. to have that power. It can't not have that power, I think.
0: But it's also, it's not just that it runs iPad apps, right? Like it, it also will have its own apps. Like that's, and I think this is the whole point of it, of like Apple are making something here which could also be the future of computing. Like they have decided they're right. going to go full on dedicate operating system. We have a new term. It's called spatial computing. Like mm-hmm. we imagine a world in the future where this is the computer people use as well as their iPhone or whatever. Right.
1: And they tried, they tried having a separate computing box that ran wirelessly, or, you know, or came from a Mac or whatever. Like, they tried, all the reports say they tried that stuff. And they said, no, we want this on device. And I'll tell you, this is one of those cases where you can look at what happened in the world of VR. And um, the VR companies, once they could get, like, a smartphone chip and put it in a headset so that there wasn't a tether anymore, they all did it. Because a, a having to tether causes a lot of trouble, a, a lot of complexity. It's It's just not... It's just not great. You you really do want to run stuff on device when you you can, if at all possible.
0: And also, one of the worst things about the first Apple Watch is it didn't run things on its own. Yeah. And it made that device bad. Yeah,
1: iPhone had to project everything onto it, yeah. Like, I think
0: this is the right move for where they want it to be. It's created a... First generation device, which is way too expensive, which is why it opens up that question of how often will it be updated. I'll mm-hmm. tell you for the first maybe five to 10 years of this product's life cycle, it will be too frequent and too expensive because that's yeah. just where it's going <laughs> to be. But <laughs> right. over time, I reckon it will probably become more like a Mac that you'll upgrade because it will be a higher price at least the pro model, that you'd maybe upgrade it every multiples of years. But then the goal is that there'll be a cheaper version, which you'd upgrade as often as you'd upgrade an iPhone, whatever that's going to be for you. Like, I think that's the goal, but it's like, how or will they get there? We don't know. But like at first, whether it's, you know, it might be every year or every 18 months or every two years that that it will be like a new version. But there will be, I reckon, probably quite big jumps in that. Because technology is in its infancy. That's
1: exactly. Which means if you get in on this,
0: expect to pay too much money too often. Like if you go in on the first one, but that's kind of like the early adopter problem, right?
1: Yeah, exactly right. That's 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 what it is. We got um, it's not in here, but we got uh, some feedback from somebody who basically said this is too expensive and I can't buy it. Yeah, I I hear you, right? Like, but that that is, I mean. The MacBook Pro is really expensive too. A lot of early tech is very expensive. This is not a product that is at the place where it's for everybody. It, no. it, it's not by it's, design. This is
0: like actually by design this time.
1: I have those moments when I realize that even stuff that I consider relatively recent are things that predate some of our listeners' time paying attention to the tech world. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, you know. Uh, but this is one of those where we all have to go back a long way mm-hmm. probably before our time for many of us which is why i keep bringing up the 80s and the personal computer in the 70s and 80s personal computers cost a huge amount of money it was a reach even families that were like computers are the future we need to get a home computer for our kid like the the first computer home computers were incredibly expensive even the cheap ones were expensive And they were the cheap ones where it was like Commodore 64 was cheaper, but you had to attach it to a TV screen. And, you know, but like an Apple II. And then the Mac was really expensive Mm -hmm. and it was good. And then it took years for those prices to go down. This is where we are with this is that this is not. Apple's not saying, yeah, everybody in the world is going to want one and they're going to pay thirty five hundred dollars for it. It's just that's not what's going on here. This is this feels so much like the early days, and I suspect it will follow that path of what you said, which is you're going to get and like the first iPhone in, in a way. the The rate of change those first few iterations will be enormous, right? As the technology improves and as the software improves, but uh, this is this feels you know like we've actually reached rudimentary early days with this tech. This is all still trying to be figured out.
0: Ramon asks, throughout the years, we've seen the Apple Watch turn into a nice complement to the iPhone. I wonder, how do we think the watch can or will complement the headset?
1: I don't know. I mean, I I would say uh, ultra-wideband might allow you to do things like glance at your watch and get like a hologram of what's on your watch or something Mm -hmm. like that. It would be kind of an interesting thing as just like in your perception to be able to have it. Um, My other thought is that the Apple Watch has sensors on it. So you might be able to make some gestures with a hand that's got an Apple Watch on it that Apple would be able to understand more finely than they do uh, using cameras to track your hands. Or maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I'm unclear about whether anything I know you can use phones and, and stuff and see them through the display and that people tried that but like I'm unclear about whether anything is going to complement this headset beyond something like airdrop or other continuity features or putting a Mac screen in it I, I'm unclear whether any of them will
0: maybe it would be a nicer way to see notifications like the notifications thing I'm still not sure on like what is that going to be like with vision pro like getting notifications just in general right like Beaming into my eyes like, is a is a lot to me. It's a lot. Um, I, I I this I'm a bit hung up on that. Like how the notification thing would work. Like I would really like to just get them on my watch, and then I can choose to look down at them or not, depending on what I'm doing in an environment, rather than me being in like this immersive thing, and then it's like jason says hi right it's just like yeah. okay oh, yeah. just please leave me alone you know like I, i'm doing something so you know i'm, I'm intrigued what to see what that's going to be like maybe this could be a way to do that them tying in together i can't imagine the apple watch being like a companion to the vision pro in the way that it is to the iphone and i think as time is going on it feels to me like the apple watch will kind of always be a companion to the iphone like to me, it kind of feels yeah. like if it, I mean, I know it can run on its own, but it's still only like kinda. And I don't imagine a scenario where the watch could be any more separated from the iPhone than it currently is. So it kind of will always be. There'll be one, two, a
1: pair together. I can see that, but I think that its primary function will always be as a part of a larger yeah. thing connected to an iPhone. Yeah,
0: I just think that like apps. <laughs> Just aren't a thing really on the Apple Watch anymore, like people have abandoned that, and it continues to happen more and
1: more, so like you
0: could never get all of your notifications on your Apple watch
1: right, I mean, yeah, they're coming from your iPhone at that point yeah. or they're coming from the Or they're coming from the push notification service, which, you know, again, Apple could do some things there. But you're right. I would also say I don't think it's that apps are not on the Apple Watch. I think that a lot of people who thought, oh, my app on the Apple Watch makes sense, realize that it doesn't make sense. And that's fine because Mm -hmm. the the apps that I use on the Apple Watch are very good and they're very specific. But there are also a bunch that I downloaded and then they were no good. So (laughs) it's okay if they go away. It was, you know, that's natural. It's fine. This
0: episode is brought to you in part by Factor. Now that it's summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for sunny, active days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook, but want to make sure that you're eating well, skip the trip to the grocery store with Factor and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. And you can elevate eating at home with their new upscale surf and turf options like roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp and Cajun spice shrimp and salmon. Factor offer delicious flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles, including keto, calorie smart, which are around less than 550 calories per serving, vegan and veggie, which you have the option to add a protein to on select meals, and protein plus, which have 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And because they're prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has everything you need. You can choose from more than 34 weekly options featuring premium ingredients such as broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus, plus you can select from more than 45 add-ons including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, baker and cheddar egg bites, potato, bacon, and egg breakfast skillets, plus cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Man, this ad makes me so hungry. And if you're looking to pack in more protein, you can add on filling options like salmon filet or chicken wings to your Factor Meals. Factor Meals are ready faster than a restaurant delivery because it's just two minutes. Plus, it's more budget-friendly than takeout. And you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice because Factor offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Jason, you've gotten some Factor meals, right? I have. What do you think of them?
1: Uh, I was just impressed with the quality of the ingredients. That's the thing that I, I, it's been a few weeks now um, that that I took away from it is I've had various box meals and various, um, I've tried some, you know, reheat these meals boxes before and I was always a little dubious, especially with the things that are in this category of the quality of the the ingredients and not to... Uh, repeat something I said before, but like the chicken in these was like really good and it reheated well and it was high quality. And I got to be honest, sometimes I get these meals and it's like this scraggly piece of chicken thigh and it's got something on it and it's like, is that fat? What is that? And these were just, just all of that, the the potatoes, the all the other ingredients were um, seemed very high quality, but um, I have spent a lot of time eating chicken breasts and let me tell you um, they were they were so much better than I thought. so yeah, I was very impressed and Lauren had a bunch of these that she took to work too and was very impressed with the quality of them. So I can absolutely endorse the fact that they are made with um, they're made with high quality ingredients and it does not feel like you're eating a you know a TV dinner or something like that. This is really good stuff.
0: This June, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered directly to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head to FactorMeals.com/upgrade50 and use the code Upgrade50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code Upgrade50 at FactorMeals.com/upgrade50 to get 50% off your first box. Our thanks to Factor for their support of this show and Relay FM. So it is the Summer of Fun, and I thought we could start by talking about our summer plans. Jason, what are you getting up to this summer?
1: Oh, the summer plans, summer plans. Well, I'm in, uh, my summer plans start with WWDC, as we know, and Mm -hmm. we kicked off the Summer of Fun with you in my office. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up for that, like never, it it never ends. Uh, Next up for that was going to Oregon. So my kids both go to the University of Oregon, although... um, Stay tuned. About to change. Uh, hmm. I had to so so last week. I had to move my son out of his dorm. Uh, that was on Thursday. My daughter is graduating from college tomorrow. Um, so I had to rent an Airbnb for a week, basically, because I had to come up and move him out. But we didn't really want to go back down and then come back up. So we've been hanging out here. Um, and then Lauren came up to join us. Uh, and then we'll go to the graduation tomorrow and then we'll go home. So there's this thing that's like it's weird. It's like a little sojourn or something. like it's it's um, not quite a vacation, but kind of a vacation, like, uh, we're because we're cool on our heels in Eugene, Oregon for a handful of days between the move out and the and the graduation. So it's been fun. We've been hanging out and fam, with the family and going out to dinner and stuff like that, and that's been a lot of fun. So that I guess that counts, right? Like that's kind of a – it's a summer thing anyway. Um, I am uh, – you know, you're like this too, right? It's, it, you look at the betas, right, and there's this whole thing about like I gotta get these OS betas and I gotta start using them. And there's the, I'm using them on another device or I'm using them a little bit. And then there comes that moment at some point where you just have to embrace it and say, I guess I'm just living on this now because I need to be aware of this so that I can write about it. And for me, uh, that also gets carved up in a couple of different ways, because usually I try to write a fairly lengthy piece about a couple of the operating systems for the public beta drop, which presumably will be in July, like it always is. Um, so there's some impetus there when I get home to really start diving in so that I can do the public beta coverage, and then you you know throughout the summer, you're wrestling with betas and you know, does this work and does this not work? And can I put this on this Mac? Oh no, I can't because I can't do audio hijack right now or whatever. Like all of that stuff is, is going on. Um, I have my, my photos book for take control. I will, presumably update that again depending on what is new there are at least a handful of things that are new in the photos app mm. um so that's a thing that takes time because mm. i have to dig through that yep. the beta version of that and i have to go through the book and i have to find every reference that's just something that has changed and change them all in order to like do an fun. update uh, i've been doing that for a few years you know uh, every year i not to tell tales out of school but every year i look at how much time i put in and how much money the updates make uh, and the book makes ongoing, and is it worth it to keep it updated? And thus far, it's always worth it to keep it updated. So I will keep doing it. Uh, but it's always it's it's almost a tradition now. I've been doing mm. that for so long. And then um, you know, want to see some baseball games? I've got some tickets that I bought, uh, and uh, and including to the game that we went to, I I just bought a bunch of tickets. There was a sale. I bought a bunch of tickets to so oh, go nice. to some Giants games. So that'll be fun. And then I've got uh, some summer travel. We're going to we're going to Portland. To see a bunch of friends, um, we've got a weekend where <laughs> Spend we're going a lot of time in Oregon. <laughs> oh, there's so much Oregon. <laughs> you must So much Oregon. Move. <laughs> um, uh, like, like we'll see where our kids end up, and then then maybe uh, going to see our friends who live in Minneapolis. But we're actually going to go. It sounds like to a cabin on a lake in Wisconsin, which I Ooh. can't wait to do because that feels very like Midwestern summer. It feels like a different kind of summer, right? Like things that I pictured but have yeah. never experienced. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're gonna go do a thing with Lawrence's family in the mountains in Colorado in August. So I've got a bunch of travel. Um, it, it, looking at it, it just it, it, there's a lot of travel going on there.
0: So that's uh, that's mm-hmm. my summer. What are your summer plans? Well, for me, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> like the travel is a, is a oh, yeah. zero in the yeah, household uh, by design. Like our next thing will be podcastathon. I expect um, we're not. We're oh, definitely yes. not. Which leaving is not the, the summer. No, uh, we're definitely not going to be leaving the country. And you know, may- maybe we'll do some things in the UK, but that's un- that's not planned right now. Uh, Because we're going to be spending time working on our home this summer. Uh, We actually have some decorating beginning tomorrow. So we're having some people come in and take care of a bunch of stuff that we need to be done. Uh, And then over the summer, it'll be lots of general improvement stuff. You know, like finally getting some furniture that we want. Maybe getting some garden furniture so we can actually enjoy our garden in the summer. Mm. Yeah, um, that's nice. So, Good which idea. would be like a, a different thing for us, having a garden and, and kind of experiencing what that would be like. But also in general, like enjoying our neighborhood, spending more time around seeing, you know, like different uh, pubs and different restaurants and shops and stuff that's like in our surrounding neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And experiencing a little bit more of what that will be like because it'll be our first summer. Uh, we have a new niece in the family and oh, uh, I want to spend, thank you. We'll spend more time there. I'm going to be seeing her again this weekend. So that would be nice. Um, kind of see if I can you know, help out my brother a little bit and and you know that kind of stuff uh, as their new parents. Um, I'll be finishing the member special. <laughs> it's coming. Good, the member special good. is coming. Uh, I'm hoping, no commitment. I'm hoping by the end of June, it will be done. Uh, but... Cannot commit to that, but the Cortex Upgrade Member Special—it was recorded a long time ago. It was, uh, and then the whole May June, good but nightmare kind of of work took over. Um, but now yep. I'm gonna get back to editing that again. We're looking at work stuff. You did just not—it didn't take you a lot of convincing, but you did convince me to get a Mac Studio, and so that is going to be a thing that's going to happen to me sometime in the summer. Uh, I'm gonna. Mm get in a Mac studio and I think that's going to mean I'm going to have to and want to redo a bunch of uh, desk stuff at the studio um, to kind of make that make a little bit more sense for me uh, which will also include I want to change up a little bit about the camera angles for video for the show for the video clips that we've been doing which by the way just some top quality content over the past week, we had uh, after having uh, Jeremy hang around with us, and Jeremy. you also set up the multi-camera thing. So, if you're not following either our TikTok or Instagram or us on Mastodon for those, you, you're really missing out right now. There's some good, some good ton
1: content. Yeah, I, I heard from somebody who who basically wrote in to say, "I don't enjoy these." <laughs> it's like, okay, I mean, you don't have to. Nobody's. Okay. I prefer to just listen to the podcast. It's like, well, the podcast is the thing it is mm-hmm. the primary thing that is what it is all the videos are sort of like they're fun they're little tidbits maybe they get some people interested in the show who haven't heard about it before great that's sort of the idea bring them in say oh these guys sound interesting maybe i will uh, listen to their podcast um, but uh, they are if you want little bonus things like i've also heard from some very nice people who are like oh i just listened to that episode and then i watched the video and i was like oh that was really funny to see the our expressions and all of that stuff so it's there if you want it um we're kind of having fun experimenting with it i think it's been i think it's been proven to be i think we feel like we're pretty happy with it creatively so yep. that's that's a good thing
0: we had our first breakout on tiktok oh yeah yeah like did we was it the one where i said negative things right about t-
1: about tiktok is that uh, the one
0: no reaction it's it's called uh as jeremy's titled it reaction to apple vision pro from two oh, people nice. that used it personally it says sixty five thousand. Uh, oh, views. oh man that's, Those, that's
1: that great. title chef's kiss to that title yeah. good job jeremy
0: uh the one that where you were negative about
1: tiktok has 7000 views that was our okay, previous see? breakout turns out that uh that uh, new apple products drives attention what mm-hmm. a shock mm-hmm. yeah. people want to know about
0: the vision pro um yeah. that's been fun and i want to kind of redo the camera angle that i have yeah. here, uh, it kind of in my space so it is going to mean that i need to basically reorganize the entire desk recording thing that <laughs> i have but i feel like that's going to be something i am going to work on um and then also I, I will put oh you know like you uh, at some point I will dig in uh to the betas and I want to be a little bit more um intentional with that than I have been in the last few years where I've mm-hmm. kind of just like I haven't really dug into the new software updates as much as I used to and I want to be a little bit more intentional with that this year um but it does take the work from me because the time where I would usually put the most effort in which is August and September uh, is more busy for me now than it used to be with the podcast a thumb, but I'm going to try and just be a bit more intentional uh, with making sure that I'm really up to date with what is going into iOS 17 because I think it's a, a good year. It's actually going to start with me rewatching the keynote, which I haven't done yet, um, which I usually don't need to do, but this year I feel like I maybe didn't absorb it as much. Because, yeah, it's harder
1: when you're there.
0: Yeah, and then also it just like everything before the Vision Pro got, just got ejected out of my memory because the Vision <laughs> Pro stuff was so fascinating, right? Sure. And so especially that first part, I, I want to rewatch that first part of the keynote, so I'm, I'm going to take care of that too over the next couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this summer. I'm going to try and make it as low-key as possible, but I think it'll be a good one. This episode is brought to you by the Human Creator Alliance. Bye now. By You will undoubtedly have heard about and probably used some kind of generative artificial intelligence tools such as ChatGPT, Dali, and many others. Whether you are a writer, artist, coder, designer, journalist, podcaster, musician, photographer, or anybody else that creates, generative AI could affect you or your industry. I mean, probably is going to, right? It, It might not be a huge effect, but it's going to make an effect. The Human Creator Alliance, which is a public benefit corporation, is here to fix this by creating a platform to restore trust and transparency to the creative ecosystem. They've partnered with a company called Credly. They are the leader in digital credentials to create a series of certifications, which can help creators like you strengthen your brand to professional credibility by proudly showing your audience that you follow ethical AI guidelines. Human Creator Alliance members use their certified digital Credly badge on their websites, blog posts, social media, wherever they display their work, whether it's writing, art, uh, like visual, otherwise audio, video, and other unique human-made creations. In addition to exclusive access to their current and future Credly certifications, members will also enjoy other benefits, such as a creator-only community, Uh, partner discounts, an opportunity to be listed in professional directories, and early access to new features and integrations. The Human Creator Alliance is a member of the Content Authenticity Initiative, which is a community of media and tech companies, non-governmental organizations, and academics, all working to promote the adoption of an open industry standard for content authenticity and provenance. Companies like Adobe, the BBC, Microsoft, and the New York Times are all members of this. And the Human Creator Alliance is developing member-exclusive implementations of AI detection technologies, leveraging the content authenticity initiatives, open standards, and tools. If you're a creator and you've been thinking about how how AI might impact your job, you can join the Human Creator Alliance now. Membership subscriptions start for as little as $4.50 a month if purchased annually or $9 monthly. And right now, Upgrade listeners can get 20% off their annual subscription by going to human humancreatoralliance.org upgrade and using the code UPGRADE at checkout. That's humancreatoralliance.org upgrade. And the code UPGRADE for 20% off, there's a link in the show notes if you want to grab that link in case you want to get it easily. Our thanks to the Human Creator Alliance for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's finish out with some Ask Upgrade questions. We have more. They're just, they're just regular ones. Oh. These come from Matthew. Oh, well, actually, this one is a Vision Pro one, but it's, it felt a little oh, bit wow. more fun. If you could add the Vision Pro in any color,
1: which would you want? Um, stealth color that dynamically matches my skin and hair, so oh. it looks invisible.
0: No, oh, <laughs> Jason,
1: that's so gross. Yeah. If
0: there's any color I don't want the Vision Pro to be,
1: it's skin clear. color. Clear, <laughs> <laughs> clear is different to skin color. Okay, well, either way, active camouflage. I don't like, know. It's not going to. I'm just grossing out create the negative space right it's just gonna be like your head is all big i think apple wants it to be as neutral as possible uh Mm -hmm. so that's why it's it is as neutral as possible but but yeah i so i don't have a serious answer here
0: i do like the silver i actually think the silver that they chose just looks nice uh but i also if i was going to choose a color from apple's current lineup i do really like the midnight color and i i would dig that but the silver I i actually think is really good
1: yeah, it's fine. It's again, it's neutral. I think that's what they're going for here yeah. is just keep it neutral.
0: And I expect that there will be strap options color-wise uh some I guess. All right. Sure. Bruce asks, what do you do when your Mac's internal storage is nearly full?
1: I mean, I'm old school, so I will, um, you know, display size of all folders in the Finder and sort by size and look for giant folders and expand them and find out what's in them and find the giant things, find the giant stuff that's sitting in my downloads folder in, is there, is there weird stuff in, you know, my podcast recording folder or my movies folder or my uh, iTunes media folder that I can get rid of. Um, Or you can, look at the storage settings and that gives you some hints about things. Uh, Maybe empty the trash because sometimes there's just a lot of stuff in the trash. So I'm I'm pretty old school about it.
0: Uh, I use Clean My Mac. Um I'm a set app subscriber and that comes with it. I've also used Daisy Disc in the past too. I- I've found that over time it's getting harder and harder to work out like how much space there is actually available on my Mac. Uh, and so I used to do that more, like you said, like of just like displaying all folders and size. I mean, it's especially even harder with like Dropbox now and file providers and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So, I like a tool that can just work it out for me so I don't have to like pay attention to it. And
1: there's a, there's the, yeah, there's purgeable storage now, which is like it shows as being free, but it's really just stuff that the system can purge. And yeah, I, I fortunately, I don't have to deal with this a lot, but I was doing, it was actually those files that Apple was giving us um, that I was supposed to post from the, the video files of our, Thing at Apple Park, and I realized that I couldn't fit it on my MacBook Air's drive mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was it didn't have enough space for it. So, um, so yeah, I always go back to the the classics. But there are lots of tools that'll let you do it.
0: Howard asks, with the release of the 15-inch MacBook Air, I was wondering what you think the chances of Apple releasing an Air that's smaller than 13 inches.
1: Hmm. what the chance is? I like that. So, I could just say like twenty three percent you could say twenty three
0: percent I think I think six percent I don't think this is six percent i don't I just don't buy it. I know there was a rumor of it, but I just don't know like i I feel like they would just tell you to buy an iPad now, like
1: yeah, I think that there's an argument to be made that Apple is happy to have the thirteen inch air be the smallest Mac screen available, yeah, and that they've d- designed their interface around it, and that Uh, let me tell you, even there are even things in the 13 inch air where it feels like I occasionally see dialogue boxes and things where I think you didn't test this on a small display. Did you Right, where it's like, it's a little too big and it doesn't really fit on the screen because somebody, a developer with a very large screen designed that app. So to take it down further to, you know, and again, it probably wouldn't be 11, it would be 12. So it's only just a little bit down from the 13 inch the reason i give it 23% or whatever is is you know they did a sub notebook design um with the macbook with apple silicon they could bring that back i think it would be an interesting product i don't think it would be a huge seller but we are in an era where apple has has realized that the macbook air is their most successful product and that as they did with the iPhone, right, and the iPad, like, why don't we create variations on this product that's very popular so people have more to choose from? And so they've done the 15-inch Air. So I I would say never say never because it gives them the opportunity to make another uh, small laptop that people might buy. Um, That said, it does sort of feel like Apple sort of played this game and they made that MacBook and it didn't really work and time has moved on. And they feel like the thirteen-inch air is probably small and light enough that they don't need to go further down. So I, I think it's not impossible. Um, yeah, Mike, six percent might be closer to what it is, but like we're, we're talking about infinite time scale here, mm-hmm. so it it could be it could happen at some point.
0: When the eleven-inch was around, it was the cheapest, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: think so. Yeah, I think that also makes it complicated. Yeah, I I don't think that would happen this time but i don't know i i just for the record i would love it because i'm a former 11-inch macbook air user and although i love this 13-inch macbook air if they made something that was like the 12-inch macbook i would be really interested in that computer i you know if it was, especially if it was just an m2 or an m3 right just just the same it's just just tiny
0: i mean i would also be interested because like smaller is for what i want smaller is better but
1: right but the thirteen-inch air is pretty small. I mean, it's I don't think not a twelve much, would be
0: that much different. <laughs> yeah, it's and, not um,
1: much wider than the eleven. It's just deeper, mm-hmm. um, and and the screen, you know, is going closer to the edges. It's already light. It's fanless. Like it's it's got a lot of those features. I'm not. I keep coming back to the fact that I think Apple maybe feels that this is a solved problem, and that the people who want an even lighter laptop, a sub notebook, that there aren't enough of them for it to sell. And that that's probably true, um, even though it pains me to say so.
0: Stuart asks, if Phil Schiller asked you how WWDC <laughs> could be improved, what changes would you suggest?
1: What do you think, Mike?
0: So I think that one of the things that would help make the new format, which I think we can see is definitely what we've seen, uh, more like the old format, would be some community activities. So for the people that are there, whether they're developers, media, people in the area, either because they live around there or people that are coming in, which I spoke to multiple people who had just come, even though they didn't have a pass because they wanted to be around the excitement. I think more community activities would be good. And that could be, you know, like a party of some kind or like space. So you know, like one of the things very helpful for us was that the visitor center was turned into the media filing center. Well, yeah. that took away <laughs> the ability for anybody who was not media to go into the visitor center. So that yeah, Well, was they could go into the store,
1: but they could go into the store, but not the cafe. Right. right? But the
0: cafe was like a hangout spot f- when it. Yes. Like for the days leading up to WWC. Well, then it was yeah. taken away. And exactly. So, like, giving. Spaces for people to congregate. Similarly, I think it would be cool if Apple programmed a live podcast festival. So, pick your favorite shows or pick the shows mm-hmm. that you want and give them a space with a stage and great audio, you know, maybe indoors, outdoors, whatever you want to do. Like, like how basically Apple gave us a space. Why not make it Live audiences, you know, like mm. live at live podcast festival. Why not? Right? It seems like it could be a fun thing to do. There were already a bunch of shows that would happen, you know, maybe in future mm-hmm. years. Uh, why not just program it and make it like part of the whole thing?
1: It's an interesting idea. I think they, I think they've dialed this in pretty well. Um, so most of my observations are just really just tiny logistical changes. The press area. I think, has those the problem you said, which is it eliminates a hangout area for everybody else to be in the cafe there. And we had unusual, you know, Tuesday was cold and it rained, uh, which they had roped off. They know that it's too small because they had roped off an area outside for people to work to. And then it rained and we were all inside. And it was it's just too small a space. I don't know how they solve that in terms of giving the press an area that they can go to work. Um, you know, maybe they should take is there space in the Steve Jobs Theater? Is there space in the Developer Center? I, I feel like maybe that they should just, if they're going to have the press covering these events, maybe they should create a space. You know, use an existing space that's bigger than the cafe at the Apple Store, and it would allow people to actually congregate at the cafe at the Apple Store too. Um, a friend of the show, Chance Miller, points out um, serve real food at the Visitor Center. I I would throw that in there too. That the, I thought the food was. All this turning a little ATP here, but like, I thought the food that Apple served was nice in that it was sort of fancy, but it was also weird. And I had, I had some issues. I also had like briefings and things where I ended up like not having lunch on Monday because they, the, there was no, there was never any food. There were like snacks. I could, I I was offered lots of cookies for lunch. (laughs) It's like, well, the cookie is not lunch. Um, and so I feel like there's there maybe there's again, I don't wanna be the entitled reporter who's like, give me free food, Apple. I, I don't wanna be that. But I, I would say if we were looking for constructive feedback, I think the food was weird and could be better, especially if in you know, in the press area if if you could if you got people working in there to have something a little more substantial. There there was only a brief window where there were things that could be arguably called food, and then the rest of the time it was sort of like water and cookies. Um I don't really know what was going on there. One of my highlights of WWDC was hearing Jason say jackfruit. That was jackfruit. That was one of my favorites. They had ones. a barbecue slider but it was a barbecue jackfruit slider and I was mm-hmm. like, "What is that?" I I mean, I ended up disassembling a a fried chicken sushi roll or something and mm. having the chicken and the rice. Anyway, I don't want to complain too much about it, but I felt like This was an example where I mean, Apple was maybe getting a little too Apple, a little too clever. I would
0: say I would just give an I. There was a bunch of food there that I really liked, and it is just like a personal taste thing. I'm not saying I'm right or you're right or whatever. It is, but there was some stuff that I loved.
1: Like I said, I think it was fancy, and I think that it was very good quality because, and it was very Apple. I just I had that moment where I mean, like I said, chance says uh, they could have served real food uh real food like i i don't know i mean i could have used a turkey sandwich (laughs) instead of a jackfruit uh slider
0: yeah you missed there was a fantastic turkey sandwich on monday but you were just scooting around from event to event
1: i was i was in a briefing and the food at the briefing center was just cookies the same cookies that we had later at the podcast center anyway it's fine i i've learned my lesson i got to bring my bag of almonds or whatever with me uh, and I didn't do that, uh, and uh, I regret it now. Anyway, I think the larger issue is that the press area it was is just too small, and then it cuts off people from hanging out in that area. And I yeah. know that this is all Apple never intended to hold an event like this here, and they don't really have a space for it. They've done a pretty good job with it; they really have. But that—that's just it, it. Struck me that you know, if you're going to have a filing center for press, because you've called all this press there, and in this case, we were there for two days. They asked the press, like, please stay for the second day because they had the Vision Pro demos and all of that. Um I think they need more space. Uh, on that
0: by the way, we got some some anonymous feedback that really made me laugh where someone at Apple was complaining to us about the uh Vision Pro demo thing. Like they took away our soccer field. And our I soccer just, field, yeah. I thought that was so just very funny to me as like a it's okay. <laughs> like you your soccer field will come back. Like how will, badly do you need back. the soccer field? I, it, I thought that was very funny. It will come back.
1: Soccer league has to play somewhere else. Um and, and yeah, so more broadly, I would just say, if, if people really are going to come uh, regardless of the event, not just developers and press, but like other people are going to start to come like they did in San Jose, mm-hmm. I would say, um, and this is sort of what you said about the podcast festival idea. It's just like is there a way for Apple to support more outside events? They did send their executives to the talk show in in San Jose at the California theater, right so like I just I would think about that a little bit more if I was talking to Phil or somebody else about WWDC is like, are there other ways to extend the, you know, the week and to make it feel a little more like, yeah, you could come even if you weren't uh, able to go on campus and there will still be stuff for you to do in the evenings because everybody is there and they want to hang out. Maybe is there a way for Apple to facilitate that a little bit? The counter argument would be that Apple is so huge and Apple wants to do like big things, that they could be like a bull in a china shop. And they'll be like, we help you! And then they smash things. And you're like, no, 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 no. no. Let's just let let everything happen organically. And I do think the
0: community will do it. But I think if WWDC is just a two-day thing, it's going to be harder for the community to bolster its own stuff. Right. Right. Where like, let's say me and you decided we wanted to do a live show. We would have to do it on Monday or Tuesday. Right. Yeah. To, to make sure that people were going to be there. And so that becomes complicated. So I think if there were more things happening on Wednesday and Thursday that maybe Apple was helping to put on, then it might encourage people to stay a little bit longer and then more meetups and events could occur around WWDC again. Where people could be confident that there would actually be attendees because there are less attendees now and that's going to continue. It used to be your baseline was 5,000 people and then whoever was on top. Uh, Now it's probably 1,000 people and whoever's on top, which is making it more complicated for ancillary events.
1: Well, I was going to say, one one thing that they could do differently if they really wanted to increase the number of developers who could come to this event is put the press in the Steve Jobs Theater for the event and put the developers at Cafe Max, and you could increase the size of your event. I'm not sure Apple wants to do that, though, right? Because then there's that much more overhead and that much more security and that much more everything else. I think they're – there honestly – when when I saw this question, my initial reaction was, I think they've got it pretty well dialed in I, I again, yeah. I can make little complaints about you know what kind of food got served or like the size of the press area, but really because it rained and otherwise it would have been okay like all of my complaints about this are very small. I think they I think they got it wired in year two. I think it's pretty good. I have
0: no. Real ways that I feel like they should change what they are doing. Like the actual WWDC part is perfect. This is just yeah, like, I think they're doing do you well. want it to be a community event? If you do, here are a couple of ways you could consider doing that. But it is not Apple's responsibility to do that,
1: right? How do you keep this approach, but also? And I did feel like with something like the talk show happening at the California Theater, I did feel like they were at least acknowledging the fact that this is a little bit more than just what's happening on day one or day one and two, and that there are some other things going on. Uh, The question is, do you, you know, if you're Apple, do you want to push that at all? Or do you want to just sort of like lay back and let it happen or not and, and not be involved in it? And I don't, I honestly don't know.
0: I mean, and they also had, like, their page on the website, like they always do, like, highlighting the things that were happening, right? So, like, there was yeah. some other events that were occurring in Cupertino, like the James Dempsey show. Like, there were other, there was other stuff going on. Um, oh, by the way, as well, at the moment, on the developer page, you can give your feedback for WWDC. So, you go to developer.apple.com. If you, listener, have feedback, like, they have that. Yeah. Um, We'll just assume that if maybe this has been heard by someone, Phil, if you're out there, you know, these are our recommendations to you. More food, I think, is what we're looking for. If you would like to send us feedback, follow up or questions for future episodes, go to upgradefeedback.com and fill in the form there. Thank you to all of you that do. You can check out Jason's writing over at sixcolors.com. You can hear his shows at the incomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows, of course, here on Relay FM and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can find us both on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on Zeppelin.flights. I am at iMike. I am Y-K-E on Mike.social. You can also find the show as at upgrade on relayfm.social, where you can watch video clips that we post of the show, but they are probably best seen on tiktok and instagram we are at upgrade relay on both thank you to our members who support us with upgrade plus you can go to getupgradeplus.com and get longer ad-free versions of the show each and every week thank you to our sponsors of this week's episode that is the human creator alliance factor Zopdoc, and electric but most of all thank you for listening until next time say goodbye Jason now
1: goodbye mike hurley